What if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious? Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so thrilled to be joined today by Stephanie Movadid, who is a leadership coach based in my town of San Francisco. Stephanie works with founders and leaders at all levels to up-level their results and themselves. Through coaching, her clients find more fulfillment, balance, and success in work and in life. In addition to her one-on-one coaching practice, Stephanie facilitates groups at the Grand World and the Stanford Graduate School of Business Women in Management Program. Prior to becoming a full-time coach, Stephanie held roles in operations, strategy, and product partnership at technology companies of various stages, such as Google, SurveyMonkey, LinkedIn, and Persona Identities. Based on her interest in building and growing tech companies and leaders, as you're hearing in the above, Stephanie also invests in and advises startups. And today we're going to be talking about Stephanie's career journey, which as you've heard is multifaceted and has taken her away from corporate as well. And so we're going to talk about that and I'm sure more as we go along. So Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kathy. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you here. And as I often start with guests is this area of talking about your own career journey. And I'm really interested in learning more about this. I think you have an interesting story to share. So I'd love it if you take us through your career journey, really starting at the beginning. I'd love to just hear like, where did you go to college? What did you major in? And where did you start out after you left college? Yeah, uh, happy to talk about all of that. Um, so I actually did something really non-traditional. Um, I did a gap year before college. Um, so after high school, I took a year off and I spent that year volunteering in Ecuador. I worked in rural communities. I was actually volunteering at a radio station there. And um, after my gap year, I enrolled at Dartmouth College where I studied comparative literature. So my focus was on Spanish and Portuguese. I had been really energized by everything that I had seen and learned during the gap year in Ecuador. And it made me just fascinated with Latin American history. So in that chapter of my life, I actually thought I might become a professor, either of Spanish or maybe of Latin American history, Latin American studies. And so I really indexed on trying to get as much time in Latin America as possible. So uh, once I got to Dartmouth, I already spoke Spanish. I learned Portuguese, um, was able to spend a bunch of time in Brazil. And after graduating, um, I had a Fulbright Fellowship, which took me back to Latin America. I was... um, I was uh, staffed at a university in the north of Chile where I taught English as part of their English language faculty. Um, So that was sort of uh, my first professional experience. And um, I really liked learning foreign languages myself. I knew I loved traveling. And I also liked watching people transform through access to learning foreign languages. Um, So I thought, you know, I might uh, pursue something in education. But after I was ready to move back to the United States, uh, my parents had actually relocated to the Bay Area. So I found myself here and 
um, you know, I started looking for jobs at nonprofits or think tanks related to education, and international development, just thinking it would be good to try um, some work before going on and pursuing a long extended PhD program. And actually ended up landing on this really interesting job, which was not at a nonprofit or a think tank. Um, I joined Google um, in 2006 as part of what was then called the Google Book Search Project. And Google was digitizing all the books in the world. So that appealed to me because of my interest in learning and education. And I thought, what, are, what would be the implications, especially for people in other countries, if we could make all of the world's books accessible online to everyone? Um, but along the way through working on that, I started to wonder, you know, could some of the things that were important to me, some of my values around helping people get access to knowledge and information and transform their lives through that access, could that actually be achieved through business? And so I stayed at Google for four years, and then I actually decided to make my first pivot. Um, so I sort of moved away from this um, career that was based around academics and teaching and, um, and traveling. And I decided to go to business school. So I went um, to business school and actually became a management consultant because I had seen that within Google, former management consultants had really great internal mobility, they had great skill sets, and they were staffed on a lot of the interesting projects that I wanted to be staffed on. So after business school, I spent two years working for the Boston Consulting Group, um, which if anyone else has done consulting, you know, it's an amazing, amazing business training, maybe even more uh, educational than, than business school itself, because you see so many different challenges inside of so many different types of business. And then I use that um, to transition back into tech. Um, so my first role after BCG was a really um, great role at SurveyMonkey, where I was sort of a business generalist working across business development, corporate development, strategy. I was there for several years and then got the opportunity to work at LinkedIn and again, a strategy and partnerships role. And then um, most recently, I joined a high growth startup called Persona Identities, where I first led their go-to-market operations and then led a customer success team. And um, obviously now I've pivoted again. Um, and I'm now working as a leadership coach. And the way that pivot happened was that I, when I was at LinkedIn, I um, was building some products for job seekers with my product team. And we started talking about career coaching. And um, we, we thought, you know, would we want to bundle some sort of career coaching or something related to coaching with our products? And I was tasked with working on that. So I had to learn everything about career coaching, including what were the schools that trained coaches. And as part of that process, I actually went to one of those schools just on the side because I was curious about it. And, you know, here I am five years later working as a coach. It's amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I'm just, I'd like to go back because there's what I love about your journey is how much you really pay attention and attune to yourself and kind of anchor each of your pivots and something that that is quite rational, right? In terms of like, here's where I think I see opportunity and therefore here's the next step I'm going to take. And yet I want to go back to even like the first landing place after you explored and did your Fulbright scholarship and you were in Chile and Brazil and all these different places and you thought you were going to do education. And then it's interesting that you landed at Google and you made that connection to that project that you were working on. And it sounds like you made that 
value connection, if you will, and kind of a purpose connection in Mm -hmm. what you were working on. And is that how you saw it? I mean, that's how you just described it. And I'm curious, like, did it deliver on that for you? And did that kind of fit for you in terms of, you know, why that you, you said why that initiative and why like landing in that role was really of interest? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so certainly my, my interest in working on the project was, was related to, you know, I had, um, had this, uh, sort of social impact mission and this idea of, um, I think also like I had been teaching and I started to think, okay, well, teaching is a very one-to-one activity. What if I could, you know, help educate people at scale? And so the Google books project appealed to me for that reason. Um, I also was at Google at a pretty magical time. So it was um, not not really the earliest days, but it was still very early in that um, I had a lot of flexibility to work from international offices, which is something that was really important to me. So I had uh, what, what they called an ambassadorship in the Dublin office. Um, I got to meet people from all over the world there. And then um, the Google Books team actually had a need in the Sao Paulo office. Um, and so even though I had just come back from Dublin, um, I was really the only person that they could send because I was the only person um, in the U.S. team that spoke Portuguese. Um, so I got to go to Sao Paulo and um, visit the Buenos Aires office. Um, so I would say a lot of the things that I was looking for at that time, international travel, professional development, um, also a lot of community. Um, the Google Books team was a lot of people like me, um, people who had maybe thought about pursuing academics, people who, many people who studied a foreign language and spoke a foreign language. Um, you know, still a very close friend of mine um, had studied music um, at Stanford and um, was a native speaker of Japanese. And so you could imagine she was there working with the Japanese book publishers. I was working with the book publishers in Latin America. So it just introduced me to like a really interesting cohort of people. I would say that a lot of those people are no longer at Google because I think some of us were sort of curious about business and curious about kind of marrying um, the, the interests that we had in kind of the academic side or in the foreign language side with um, with business. And I think some people found, oh, actually what I really love is business. Other people, um, you know, eventually went on to do other things or to go back into writing or, um, pursuing PhDs. Um, so I would say like on many levels, it did offer me what I wanted. Um, I will say that something that I learned, um, is that working on the, um, working on the border of social impact and tech, sounds very appealing, but it can also be frustrating in that some of those projects, if they're not the company's core, if they're not um, related to, uh, you know, revenue, um, sometimes those projects might get wound down, um, they might go away, they might not be as resourced. Um, So I would say I eventually left to go to business school. So I, I can't really say what happened internally. But I think I did start to feel like working on the Google Books program was amazing. But like pretty much everyone from publishing also wanted to work on the Google Books project. Um, So there wasn't that much mobility for me to take on new and interesting challenges on that project specifically. Mm, Got it. Got it. Well, and then you were starting to say some of the people that you were working with might have realized later that, hey, I was curious about business. Now I'm actually going to go back to academia or another path. You chose, hey, I thought I might go and do the academic thing and let me go test out this business thing. And some p- others 
struggle with this as well as they're making this decision. Do I want to lean into business or not? Some people really have a negative view of of people coming from a business orientation, just being transparent about that, not that it is good or bad. And I'm curious for you, what was that like to make that transition? Was that, no, I was really curious about it and and really believed like this was a good path for me uh, in taking a next step and taking this direction of going to business school? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. So I will say that um, part of the reason that I chose Michigan was because Michigan offered this really interesting dual degree with library science and business. And so I actually was um, initially interested in the idea of um, sort of marrying business with another academic discipline and kind of continuing on that academic path. Once I got to Michigan, I I ended up um, not pursuing the the library science degree for for a variety of different reasons. But um, I will say that um, I was very curious about other disciplines, I think much more so than the rest of my classmates. So I ended up taking classes at this policy school. I actually took an English class on the history of the book, um, where it was all students of PhD students in literature and history and me. And they were, I just remember like this hilarious moment where we had to do introductions and I had to go first. And I did like a classic business person's introduction where I said all this stuff about myself. And the next person just said their name. And so, <laughs> so it's definitely like culture shock going into um, to PhD classes. But, um, but I would say, I think what is um, interesting about a business degree, and you might have seen this, like if you work in tech, you don't necessarily need an MBA or a business degree. And so I think maybe what people respond to is when folks throw out their business degree as some sort of credential or as a reason why you should pay attention and you should feel like they're smart. Um, And I feel the same way, honestly, about coaching certifications. Like it's great to have a coaching certification, but you could also be a very good coach without one. Um, So yeah, I guess all I'm saying is that I think, um, you know, I'm glad I did my business degree. I learned a lot, but I also, part of me also wonders if there might've been some imposter syndrome where I felt like I had studied literature and not business. So I couldn't, you know, do strategy or I wasn't um, qualified to do X, Y, and Z. And I think honestly, I always was, but I didn't necessarily see myself that way until after I had gone back and gotten that formal credential. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of, you took us through, Stephanie, each of the different changes that you made. And I said at the beginning, you're you're really thoughtful about like, oh, here's what was interesting to me. Here's what the next action I wanted to take. I'm curious, as you were going through those stages, were there certain signals that told you this is the right time for me to make a switch? Like, how did you know you were ready to take that next step and kind of step into that next arc of your career? You know, it's such a good question. And and I, as I think about it, um, you know, there were signals in that, um, you know, perhaps like uh, within Google, maybe, um, you know, I thought about internal mobility and looking at different roles internally and, you know, had sort of stretched and, and explored a variety of those and eventually decided that leaving might be the best path to get to where I wanted to go. So I think um, probably something that I'm good at is like, I throw a lot of stuff at the wall. And so when you hear my story, what I'm telling you is about the things that stuck, right? I'm not telling you about all the different things that I 
tried and, um, you know, the things that didn't work. Um, but I think I did try a lot of things and then almost through sort of like a process of elimination where it's, it's eventually it's like, here's four different things that might work internally and the path to go externally. And after kind of testing those different things and being like, does this produce the resonance that I want? Is this, is this, um, you know, giving me that feeling of, um, this is the best way to spend my time. Like I, I always think about that quote, um, I'm going to misquote it, but it's essentially something like, um, what do you want to do with your one precious life? Um, and so I think, um, you know, after trying different things and feeling like, you know, this wasn't a fit, it, it eventually sort of became clear to me that leaving could be the right fit. Um, so I think that's, that's one way, um, that I've thought about like what those signals are. It's, it's sort of trying a lot of things, planting a lot of seeds and then seeing what, what comes to fruition. Um, I also think, um, you know, just really paying attention to that resonance, the, um, you know, the joy that you feel like what energizes you as opposed to draining you, um, is a good way to kind of, um, understand when a pivot might be necessary. If there is a way to sort of pivot so you can shape your life in a way that you're spending more of your time and that feeling of resonance and less kind of in that feeling of, I can do this, but you know, this isn't really what lights me up or this isn't really what gets me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, that's great. And I'm curious, you know, if, is you were going through this exploration and kind of trying a lot of things, and this is what I advise people to do and to kind of always be in action in kind of exploring. You've mentioned curiosity a lot, Stephanie, and it sounds like you're a quite a curious person and you kind of explore those curiosities. And yet going through this journey can also sometimes, I know a lot of people have a lot of angst around it or it can be stressful or uncomfortable. And I'm curious if you experienced any of that or if you found certain things that supported you as you've gone through your career journey. Yeah, and I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about my pivot into coaching because I think that's one um, that I, I, I feel like I, you know, sometimes people are um, surprised or saying, you know, you left a corporate job to be a freelancer, but I feel like I was able to de-risk um, um, sort of leaving my coaching job in a way that um, made it a lot less scary. So maybe I could talk a little bit about that. Um, so uh, my journey into coaching really began with um, with coach coach training and certification, which again, as I mentioned, um, is not necessary. You know, like very few of the clients that I have now ask me um, if I'm certified by the International Coaching Federation, but but I am. Um, but what was great about certification was it was this very low risk way to start to test uh, coaching. And so I first, I started so slow. I started with a webinar. I did a webinar at the Coactive Training Institute and I loved that webinar. And then I said, I'm going to do their very fundamentals course. And then I said, I'm going to do their whole co coaches training course. And then I said, I'm going to do their certification. And so that gave me like a container of almost a year and a half where I was around all these other coaches, I was listening to them, I was learning, um, but I wasn't really even thinking um, about becoming a full-time coach myself. I was just thinking that I loved that training um, and I wanted to be around those type of people. Um, but all the while I was like sort of absorbing, I think, um, lessons. And then um, the other thing that I started doing was just doing some coaching on the side. And um, you know, I thought if I really love the training, maybe I want to do this all the time. And so maybe I should try to get clients. Um, and then, you know, I started pushing myself to get a paying client and then to get more than one paying client. 
So I feel like through doing that um, for almost two and a half years before I went full-time into coaching, I I felt pretty solid um, that I knew how to get clients. I knew some of the mechanics. um, I knew the skill of coaching. um, And so that really de-risked it. So I think, and I've heard you talk about this on your podcast is like, what are some experiments that you could run? And so, you know, just trying to get one paying client was my first experiment. Then going into certification, having to get five paying clients was another experiment. So I feel like I've, I've sort of designed this series of experiments for myself. And I'm actually still in that period where now I am working as a full-time coach, but I'm doing some coaching for a group coaching platform. That's an experiment. I'm running um, some um, group coaching circles myself another experiment. And I, what I love about this phase of my career is that I have this portfolio of things. Um, and every six months or every year, I could kind of decide which ones I want to dial up and which ones I might want to wind down. Uh, I love so much of what you just shared, Stephanie. Thank you for taking us through that. And it, these episodes haven't come out yet, but you that is a great illustration of uh, a, actually a solo episode I just recorded last night before for our conversation Amazing. today that really speaks to exactly what you're talking about, which is stepping into and testing out, as you're saying, and exper- experimenting with something and listening to how it resonates with you, which you shared earlier and kind of stepping further into it, testing more, continuing to step into it. And because somebody was asking me, I was answering a listener question who said like, how do you get the courage to essentially step back in order to move forward? And what are smart ways to do that? And what you just talked about is a brilliant example of how you do that. How do you de-risk it? How do you get really comfortable and confident and knowing this is the path that I want to step into? Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right that it's a combination of you have to design the experiment and you have to know what's important to you. So I I think another example is um, two years ago, or I guess almost three years ago now, I joined a very early stage startup. And a lot of people have said to me, you know, how did you, you were working at LinkedIn, which is such a big and stable company and you're pretty advanced in your career. How did you get the courage to join a tiny startup? You know, that was such a big risk. And I said, I don't think it was a risk at all because I joined a startup of one of the people that I trusted and respected the most, um, who had been a very early employee whose deliberation process when she joined, um, I was privy to. And so I just was like, I had complete confidence in the team. I had complete confidence in this friend who was enjoying, inviting me to join the company. So it just didn't feel like a risk at all. But I think I de-risked it by understanding what's important to me. I wanted to work with people of integrity and I wanted to work with people that were really skilled at their craft. And I knew that the people in this startup would be that way. And so it just, it didn't feel like a risk um, because it, I knew it would have the elements that were important to me. I love that. And I, you know, and there's two things in what you shared. You you said what was more aligned, which is like, what was important to me? And this delivered on that for me. And then it seemed like what was embedded in the question and you also kind of articulated, which was startups are risky, right? So, you know, for you, the de-risking was, but I knew this person and I trusted these people. And so it didn't feel risky to me. And I can relate to this, Stephanie. You know, when I first stepped into the startup world, I went from Clorox, having been there for six and a half years and joined uh, an incubator and was the first employee of one of the companies in that incubator. And people often ask me as well, how did you do that? Wasn't that scary? Or how did you go from corporate to that with having no very few resources? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't, that didn't scare me at all. It didn't bother me. 
I'm a hands-on kind of get in there and get your hands dirty kind of person. So that also didn't bother me. And it also, like you, it aligned with what I was looking for at the time. I always had an interest in entrepreneurship. I was wanting to do something that had more impact. And this was a natural foods company that was looking to do that. So I can relate to what you're sharing in that experience. Yeah. And I I think what I'm hearing from you and maybe what it's causing me to realize in myself, it's also like, I think my, I have a trust in myself also that I can learn. And I think, um, you know, I don't have an expectation that I would be perfect at something. And I think some of this comes from having made all these pivots that I recognize that, um, you know, I've been in the shoes of not knowing how to do something and I've figured it out. And, um, you know, I think that's actually, I'm happy that I had those experiences earlier, earlier on in my career So now I don't think that sort of my value is in that, like I have 20 years of doing the same thing. I actually think my value is that I don't have 20 years of doing the same thing so that I I could figure out whatever someone asks me to do. Mm, I can appreciate that. And I think people recognizing that trust yourself, trust yourself that you can figure it out as you step into what is new for you. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, like as you look back on the pivots you've made yourself and you reflect and you think about the journey that you've been on, if you were to give advice to others who are thinking about managing their career over time and making perhaps values-based choices around that as well, like what counsel would you have for them based on your own experiences and learning? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think the first thing is to do some self-exploration to understand what is most important to you. Is it growth, challenge? Those are some of my values. And I think if you look at the career that I've had, you'll see those played out. But you know, for other people, it might be stability or family or other things, um, which might mean that making a lot of pivots isn't as appealing to them. And that's that's totally fine too. So I would say first... Um, it's great to work on what are my values. And I know um, you're doing a lot of amazing work around um, helping people sort of self-coach and, um, you know, resources. I, I also am um, really interested in this topic. And um, if I could recommend to folks um, a resource for finding, um, finding their own values, um, I just listened to a great episode of Brene Brown's Unlocking Us uh, podcast, where she talks about how to find your values. And she has a whole worksheet that, um, Kathy, I can send to you so we can link. Um, But I think exercises like that, what's most important to me. So first, really getting clear on that. Second, um, then measuring, you know, where am I with all those values? If if my number one value is growth, um, where am I this year on growth? Um, am I growing as much as I would like to? And in the areas that I would like to, I think is another, um, great thing to think about. Um, and then I think the other thing that you should do is experiment and incubate. So for me, um, you know, I sort of did two experiments at once. I joined a startup and I also finished coaching certification and I, and I had both of those experiments running. And then at a certain point, I really felt called um, to continue on the path with coaching. And it was impossible, um, to keep that role at that very, um, fast growing, very, um, dynamic startup and also coach as much as I wanted to coach. Um, so I decided to leave. Um, but I think if I hadn't been sort of incubating the coaching practice on the side, I wouldn't have been as confident 
um, to leave and, and take that next step. And so I think designing those experiments and incubating them um, continuously while you're um, in whatever role you're in now is a great way to pivot. So Stephanie, one thing I wanted to build on and what you just shared around aligning values to career is also you in your work around coaching talk about living a values aligned life as well. And you you help clients establish routines to support that. Can you tell us more about that? Like, how do you work with clients in doing that? Definitely. Yeah. So I think as I alluded to, I think really the first step in setting up those routines is the self-awareness of what is important to me. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the morning routine as a way to make sure that, um, you know, you're staying aligned. So in my case, um, I start my day with some meditation. Then I go into some journaling. And oftentimes in my journaling practice, I ask myself, what are the elements of life that are most important to me? Did I have those in my life yesterday? And uh, am I going to have them in my life today? And so, you know, a good um, a good example for me, um, I've actually been working with my coach around how can I make sure that I'm living in my values as much as possible. And um, I have this value that's called Narnia, which is about inspiration. And um, in, I mainly take inspiration from the beauty of nature. And so... Um, she actually challenged me and I have actually keep a block on my calendar where every other um, one day, every two weeks, I just block. Um, and I wrote Narnia on that block. And it's all about just making sure that I have time in nature because I think that's what really recharges me. So I would say it's first getting clear on what those values are. Then it's thinking about, am I or am I not living according to those values? And, you know, I think, um, you can check in with yourself once a week. You can do it daily as I've been doing it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, and then it's thinking what behaviors um, support those values. And, um, you know, if, if you don't know, that's a really good area to brainstorm is, okay, well, you know, what's really important to me is growth. What are some behaviors that support growth? Maybe it's signing up for a class. Maybe it's pushing myself to speak up more in meetings um, because that's scary for me. Um, whatever it is, um, so I think those are some examples that come to mind. Um, other thing that I would say is, um, you know, and as I know, you know, Kathy, one of the great principles of coaching is accountability. And so I think even for folks that don't work with a coach, finding ways to create accountability is so important when it comes to transforming and changing. And so different ways I think we can self-create accountability uh, those calendar blocks, that's a great way because it's a reminder. Um, another way is just doing some of these exercises with a friend. Um, so, you know, maybe you tell a friend, hey, I'm actually, um, you know, mindfulness is a really important value for me. And I, um, I haven't been honoring that value. I'm going to try to meditate at least three times this week. Um, and I'm going to email you at the end of the week and let you know that I did it. And even if you don't do it, you should still email that friend and say, I only did it one time this week. And, you know, maybe the friend will be coach-like and will email you back and say, what do you think prevented you from doing it two more times? And then you'll get to explore that. So those are just some ideas. I do think um, working with other people um, is a great way to increase accountability. Yeah, I really love what you're talking about here. And it's it sounds like 
really, again, getting aligned to those values, really being aware of them, making yourself aware, understanding what does that look like for you? So growth for you might look different than growth for me as an example. But oftentimes when we define our values, we do it at this very broad level. And then I'm hearing you say like, really put in place some structures around this too for yourself. And I also love that you're bringing it back to accountability and this idea of kind of taking responsibility for ourselves and taking control and knowing that we have choice in what we move forward for ourselves. And then the thread that you're also pulling through, Stephanie, I know you talk about this, which is, and you've brought it up even in kind of what I'm offering here through the podcast and the other things that I offer, which is self-coaching. And I know that that's kind of important for you that that people can self-serve if they don't have access to a coach. So, I mean, do you have other tips? You've already mentioned these as examples, but do you have other tips around how you think people, if they don't have access to a coach, can kind of self-serve and coach themselves? Yes. And um, I love that question. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, so I think you're right that I did. Um, I did mention a few things, but I can I can recap them. So I think um, for me, a mindfulness practice and meditation is just a way to kind of um, bring some focus. And I think that's one of the things that coaching does. It creates a, a container um, of sort of, okay, once I am going to into that meeting with a coach, the 20 minutes before is I'm really going to be focused on what does growth mean to me. And I think if you just start a mindfulness practice, that's just another way to kind of... Um, almost buffer yourself from the stress of every day and just create a little bit more spaciousness in your life. Um, another thing that I really love is journaling. Um, and so I mentioned, um, I journal, um, every day. I, um, I used to journal in a note in my iPhone, which I think is totally fine and also good because you could never lose that. Um, I, um, about six months ago, I switched to journaling in a physical notebook, which I actually, um, like even more because there's nothing in there that's going to distract me, no work emails or slacks or anything in there. Um, so I think journaling is really great. So I just do a simple gratitude journal in the morning. And then oftentimes I'll add on an exercise about, um, you know, where do I want to be in five years or what's making me happy right now? Or what are some ways that I can increase joy, whatever it is that you know, is interesting to me. Um, and then, um, podcasts, I think are a great way to self-coach. I, I mentioned, um, I really like Brene Brown's unlocking us podcast. I know you're doing great work, um, offering people exercises and, and different, um, powerful questions here on this podcast. Um, so I think that's another one. And then the last one is community. So, um, I'm super energized right now around the power of groups. I've been um, coaching for um, this interesting platform called The Grand World, which offers group coaching. And um, the mission of The Grand is actually to make the world a less lonely place by giving people these groups that they can sign up for. But um, that sort of set me on this um, this group um, uh, kick. And I actually started a mastermind group, which um, is really just a group of my peers. And um, you know, we meet once a month and we talk about different personal and professional goals. And I think that's a great way to create accountability. Um, if you have a group of people and you say, Hey, actually, I really want to get smart on social media. And I, I feel like I'm not good at social media. I'm going to try to start posting once a week. And then this is what I did. I said, I'm going to try to start posting once a week. And I'm just going to pretend that I'm posting to you for my mastermind group. Um, and that's going to help reduce like some of the the fear I have around, oh, it has to be perfect. Um, and they said, great. And then, you know, as soon as I put out my first post, you know, they put a little 
no, in our WhatsApp, one of our, one of the group members was like, she posted. And then they all, you know, they all encouraged me. So I think, um, community is also a really great way to create accountability, um, through peers. Yeah. And building on that, just because I think both you and I really believe in the power of community on these journeys and how important it is. And what I'm also hearing in that too is accountability and championing you, right? And giving you the courage and the inspiration to keep going, um, you know, and giving you ideas. I mean, there's there's so much power in community for sure. Exactly. And I think you're exactly right that it's accountability, it's championing, and it is that inspiration. And I, you know, I oftentimes think of that quote, um, you become a combination of the five people that you spend the most time with. And so I also think in terms of um, pivots and, you know, reimagining our careers, there's a little bit of like, you have to see it to be it. And so I think when you're in groups with people and they're stretching and growing in these different ways, um, it really provides you a blueprint for what's possible. And especially if it's someone who's, you know, close to you or similar to you, you just start to say, okay, well, they can do it. You know, I can do it. And so I think, um, I think we should, we should choose wisely about who we spend time in community with. And hopefully it's people that we want to, um, evolve ourselves to be like. For sure. For sure. I, I really appreciate that. And I also just love, I just want to call out like that you use them because a lot of to, to be your audience, if you will, in putting yourself out there. And I think that's a really powerful reframing as well. So many people get stopped in putting themselves out there. And I love this idea of like, hey, just think about it. You're, you're really communicating with your besties, right? Like people who <laughs> want the best for you, <laughs> who are going to champion and celebrate you and are, of course, going to love what you put out there, right? So it's like, I love how you kind of shrunk the audience, if you will, to really give you, again, that courage to continue to step forward and put yourself out there into the world. So I love that. Well, yes. Stephanie, I'd, I'd love to kind of wrap wrap up with a couple before my final question, just some rapid fire questions, if you will, if you'd love to play with that. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I'm going to do these in rapid style. We'll see how it goes. and I'll, I won't interrupt you in between. <laughs> so how do you define success for yourself? To me, success is living a life aligned with my values. Mm. And what's your next ambition? Ooh, good question. Um, I'd like to grow my coaching practice. I want it to um, to grow to reach even more people. And then I'm also interested in training coaches in the future, just because I love coaching so much. I want to be part of training the next generation of coaches. I knew on that one, there probably would be more than one Stephanie for you. So I'm just going to say that, which I think is, I, I love. So what's, what's your prescription for sustaining yourself? Ooh, good question. Um, you know, I, um, I'm really into health. And so I feel like paying attention to what our bodies are telling us is so important. So I always prioritize sleep. I prioritize nutrition and I prioritize drinking enough water every day. What's your favorite time-saving or productivity tip? Ooh, good question. Um, because I'm a coach, I schedule a lot of appointments. So I love using Calendly. So I never have to go back and forth with like, what time works for you? What time works for you? I love um, scheduling hacks for sure. And what's one thing you can't live without? Um, probably exercise. I try to exercise every day and uh, without those endorphins, I don't know where I would be. 
Uh, I'm with you there. Well, Stephanie, this has been fabulous. Thank you for sharing your journey, all of what has served you along that journey. And, you know, what inspires you around coaching and how people can also coach themselves if they don't have access to a coach. So I'd love to just close with this question. I mean, from a broad sense, just based on our conversation, is there a final takeaway you'd love to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my final takeaway is I feel like, you know, whatever is your dream, um, lean into that test, um, but lean into that because I think if you can dream it, you can be it. Mm, Love it. What can we do for you, Stephanie? And where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Great question. Um, So in terms of um, what you can do for me, um, I think you're already doing it, Kathy. I love this podcast and I'm so excited to share with... um, with friends and clients, um, the work that you're doing. I think um, a lot of people have um, sort of a sense that in order to be ambitious, they have to have one type of career. And I really um, don't believe that. I think there's so many different ways we can be ambitious. So I love that you're highlighting the diversity of ambitions that they're out there in the world. Um, In terms of where people can find me, I am working with my one-on-one clients. I'm facilitating groups. And you can learn more at my website, which is stephaniemovahead.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And I, of course, will capture all of that in the show notes. Stephanie, thank you again for being on. This has been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks so much, Kathy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.